Turn in your Bible, if you will, to John chapter 10, verse 10, which we're going to read here in just a minute. Before we, we get into that, uh, I want to make a, a comment. I want to apologize to the young people in our church because I made a statement last week that was not thought out. You know, sometimes when you're trying to carry on a conversation or you're trying, let me rephrase that. I sometimes speak like President Trump just off the cuff. <laughs> don't really think through what I'm saying, and sometimes in the process of doing that, I say something I shouldn't say. Last week, I made a comment about young people being stupid. I want to take that back. That's not what I intended to say. Uh, I was referring to sometimes young people are idealistic. They have high goals. They want to see them accomplished, and they do things that aren't thought through, like burn down their own city to make it a better place. Shooting some police officer because they're mad at another police officer. Those are stupid things that people do. It doesn't mean they're stupid. It means they're idealistic, inexperienced, they need some coaching in life. That's what I meant to say. But if you heard me say young people are stupid, I apologize sincerely, because that's not what I meant. That's not what I was trying to say. I say that because I can say stupid things, and I might again today, so please cut me a little slack. <laughs> John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The King James says life and that more abundantly. He wants us to have life to the full. And sometimes we don't really understand what that abundant life is all about. We get confused. We get mixed up with it. Sometimes we believe the Bible teaches one thing when really that's not what it teaches. And so today I want to look at some things that are illusions. We think they're truth, but they really aren't in practice. And this is why so many Christians have given up on the spiritual walk, and now they're doing nothing for the kingdom. I've got a couple images I want to put up on the screen to illustrate. These are some optical illusions. Do we have those? We don't have them. Okay, I had, I had some optical illusions. Uh, you can find it if you, if you Google um, illusion images. There's a whole list of visuals, optical illusions. One was, it looked like a duck facing this way, but the other way it looked like a rabbit. You know, it was one picture it was a fooler. Another one was a guy who had a tattoo on his head that made him look like he had a hole in his head. You know, this went in. It was just a tattoo, but it was an optical illusion. And I think sometimes there are verbal illusions as well. Uh, I have here... screen went blank on me. Let me open it back up. Uh, this is the definition, the Webster, Webster's primary definition of illusion. A misleading image presented to the vision. You see it, but it's misleading. It looks like this, but it's really not that. Here's the secondary definition. Something that deceives or misleads intellectually in your mind. It's a, it's a word trick. Somebody might play on you a word trick, and they catch you on it because you thought they were talking about this, but in reality, they were talking about that, and everybody laughs at the end because you didn't see the twist in the story. 
Sometimes Satan wants to twist the truth so we don't understand it. So I want to share six of these illusions that we think this is what the Bible teaches, but it really doesn't. Here's the first one. I deserve to be happy. Don't we think that's what the Bible teaches? But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. I want us to think about this because if you think you deserve to be happy, you're going to be so frustrated with life because you don't deserve to be happy. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But if we think we deserve to be happy and the pursuit of happiness is something that drives us, we're always going to be frustrated because selfishness never leads to happiness. We think my spouse is supposed to make me happy. I'm sorry if you got married thinking your spouse is going to make you happy, six days later you get a rude awakening. (laughs) Your spouse can't make you happy. Seeking happiness is a void within that you're trying to fill up. And your spouse cannot fill that void. You're always going to be frustrated with that. Well, my, my church is supposed to make me happy, right? Where do we get that idea? Can we find a scripture any place in the Bible that says our church is going to make us happy? The church is supposed to be proclaiming the word of God that confronts us. It pulls the rug out from under us. It makes us uncomfortable, so we have to grow. That's the purpose of the church. So my goal this morning isn't to make you happy. My goal this morning is to teach you something that might help you find happiness in your life. Because happiness never comes from selfishness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 says, This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, sometimes we get, it, we get our idea, our spiritual ideas twisted around. And that's why we never get victory. We're always frustrated. When I am weak. So God loves to set us up in weakness. Did you know that? That's contrary to the way most Pentecostals think. God loves to set us up in weakness because when I'm weak, then I have to rely on God. And when I have to rely on God, I become strong. You see that? So we should not be people seeking happiness. We should be people who seek contentedness. Can you be contented with where God's placed you? Are you contented with life as it is right now for you? There's a difference between happy and contented. I want to be contented. My happiness I'll reel in the happiness when I get to heaven. Down here, I got a job to do. And sometimes hardship, weakness, insults, persecution, sometimes those things get in the way. But that's okay because I know where I'm headed. And all those, all those hardships do is develop me into something God wants me to be. So sometimes in life, on this race God has set before us, 
book of Hebrews says he has set before us this race. Sometimes in life, you got to take the good with the bad. Keep your eye on the goal, though. Yes. Keep your eye on the goal. Okay, here's the second thing that is a illusion, and that is that I'm not good enough. I'm just not good enough. Anybody in this room ever struggle with feeling like you're not good enough? I got my hand up. I'm leading the pack. Why in the world would God choose me? Why in the world would God want to work through somebody like me with the baggage that I've got, with the mistakes that I've made, with the mistakes that I continue to make? Why would God want to work through somebody like me? I'm not good enough for what he's called me to do. Why would God call you to be a part of New Hope Christian Center? Are you good enough? None of us are good enough. God requires perfection. How are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Our salvation is by grace. It's what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. He paid the price for my sin. He tells me all I have to do is accept him and I'm in. I am good enough. I'm not good enough because I'm good enough. I'm good enough because he makes me good enough. When he shed his blood on the, on the cross, he was my substitute. It was in my place. He paid the price for me. I'm not good enough. But I am good enough. Paradox. Confusing. I have to take it by faith. Because if I measure myself by the world standards, I'm not good enough. But if I measure myself by God's standards, he says I'm good enough. So I need to stop believing the lie that I'm not good enough for God. I am good enough for God, just like I am. Because when I'm weak, then he makes me strong. It's grace, not works. It's grace, not works. The church has missed this by a mile, thinking it's about works. But it's not. It's about grace, what Jesus did. Which takes us to the third point. God can't forgive me. Now, if you were raised in church and you've done everything you could to do the right things, you might, you might feel that God can forgive you. But bear with me a minute because there are some people in our church this morning that have really crossed the line. They have really messed up. They have really failed God along the way. And they know it. And they have this attitude down within them of guilt and shame. And they're saying, God can't forgive somebody like me. I've crossed a line that I can't get back across. It's like we have some kind of scale of measurement. And if you do these sins, it's not a big deal. But if you do these sins, it's a big deal. God forgives little deals, but he can't forgive the big one. Come on, Pastor. Who taught us that God saw sin like that in different measurements? That's not the way God sees sin. All you have to do is violate one little corner of the Mosaic law and you're guilty of all. 
You don't have to break them all. You don't have to be a mass murderer and a bank robber to be a sinner. All you have to do is tell a white lie. Or is it a fib? What do we call those things that really aren't bad? They're just kind of half-truths? Sin. That's what it is. God knows that. God can't forgive me. I've gone too far on the measurement. God hates sin. He hates it so much, he'd be willing to send his own son to this earth to pay for it. That's how much he hates it. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us from our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All. So is there any sin someone might have done, even habitually over a period of years? Is there any sin someone might have done that deserves more than the death penalty? Jesus paid it in the full so that we could find that forgiveness. So don't tell me God can't forgive your sin, that your sin was too great, your sin was too heinous, your sin was just over the top. Don't tell me that because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that Jesus paid it in full. So if we confess our sins... A lot of denominations define confess in different ways. Sometimes you have to get up in front of church and say it to everybody so everybody knows what a rascal you've been. I'm glad God doesn't require that of me. What confess means is you have to acknowledge it. You take ownership of it. You say, I recognize what I did is a sin. I recognize my pride is a sin. I recognize my jealousy is a sin. I recognize my unforgiveness for someone else is a sin. I recognize that. That's confession. You confess it before God. You don't have to confess it before people. It's none of their business. It's God's business. You take ownership. Confess it. It means to acknowledge and, he, and all unrighteousness is forgiven. That means righteousness is imputed. Righteousness is put in my life. So God can't forgive me. That's probably true until you confess it and take ownership and accept Christ to come into your life and forgive your sin. Here's number four. Salvation is a free gift. Sounds right, right? Salvation is a free gift. I'm saved by God's grace, not by my works. So it is a free gift. We've got to be careful with that because it's only half the truth. It is free. It is a gift. But I am delivered by my works. There's a balance. Salvation is a free gift based only on what Jesus did for me. But if I just sit... If I just sit and do nothing, I go no place. I accomplish nothing. My salvation is never worked out. My salvation is never fully developed. And I'm always wanting more. 
That's why there are some people, every single time we give people an invitation to make a decision for Christ and give their life to God, they're raising their hand again. Because they recognize they need something they don't have yet. They've not taken the action steps. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Not blessed in what they believe, blessed in what they do. Are you getting this? Salvation is a free gift, but you have to put some action to it. You have to do some things if you want your salvation to be worked out and become deliverance in your life. There's some action steps you have to take. If you have unforgiveness towards someone who treated you wrong, you need to take some action step to forgive that person who treated you wrong. If you don't take action steps, you're going to continue to harbor that resentment eating away at you down on the inside. God wants us to be set free. He wants us to be delivered. So we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. I'm glad. I'm so thankful to God you came to church this morning. And you're sitting there hearing the word of God. But let's be more than hearers. Let's be doers. Put it into practice. Yes. What will this look like in my life? And make some personal decisions on what you're going to do with it. Amen. Do the word. Here's number five. God knows my heart. True. God knows your heart. That is a truth. But sometimes we use that as an excuse. I know I did the wrong thing, but God knows my heart. You got that right. God knows your heart. He knows we did what we did because of what was in our heart. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says, now while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. He knew what was in their heart, therefore he didn't trust them. Did you know that God knows what's in your heart? Jeremiah tells us what's in our heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? God knows that's what's in your heart. God knows that's what's in my heart. It's so, my heart is so easy to be deceived. I'm gullible. I believe pretty much everything. I believe the good in everybody. And I, I paid the price for it. You know, sometimes you, you trust people and they're not trustworthy. They're going a whole other direction than I am. Their minds are over here when my mind's over there. Come on. He knew 
what was in every man and woman was a sinful heart. Therefore, he wouldn't trust them. Now, if God knows my heart like he knew their heart, that tells me he doesn't trust me. It means he doesn't trust you. He shouldn't trust you because of the deceitful heart. So, he's promised to give us a new heart. Yes. He's going to put his Holy Spirit inside of us. Yes. It's going to be a new heart. It's going to give us a new perspective. going to give us new goals. That's what being born again is all about. It's not going to church. It's having a new heart put inside of us because the heart is deceitful. And the good news is God changes hearts by invitation. A person has to ask God to change their heart. Did you know that? He is a gentleman. He sits on the outside. He knows what's in our heart, sits back, and God, God sometimes must look at me and shake his head. How many times do I have to tell him? How many times do I have to show him? How many lessons do I have to give him? He changes our hearts by invitation. All we have to do is say, God, you know my heart is not in the right place here. You know, I, I struggle with jealousy. I struggle with unforgiveness. I struggle with resentment. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Lord, would you change my heart? You can't change anybody else, but you can change yourself. Ask God to intervene and watch what he does in your life. Yes. So he knows my heart, and it's not a good thing. But let me tell you what is a good thing. He knows my name. Yes. He knows your name. He doesn't get you confused with somebody else, even if there is somebody else with the same name. He knows exactly who you are. He's got your number, and he still loves you, and he's still committed to working on you and bringing you all the way through to the other side. God is good. Here's number six. Here's the last one. All things work together for good. Isn't that a wonderful truth? All things, all things work together for good. But it's not really true. And it really doesn't build faith in anybody else. Look at this. Romans 8, 28 in the New King James Version. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Saying that all things work together for good in a fallen world is like me putting on my shoes this morning, which have laces, by the way, and just sitting there waiting for the all things to come together. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. We live in a fallen planet. The things in this world are part of the fallen nature. Satan is the god of this world, my Bible says. Things aren't just going to fall together for good. Things are going to fall apart for bad. That's my experience in the real world. But what do I do with this scripture? I'm saying I think the scripture is misleading. It doesn't really tell us the spiritual truth. It's God who works the things together. You leave God out and try to tell somebody, oh, all things are going to work for good. The things will work out for good. Tell that to a widow who's just lost her husband. Tell that to a mother who's just lost her child. 
Tell that to a businessman who's just lost his business. Well, these things are going to work together for good. Not without God, they won't. Put God in the picture, and they will. This is why I like the way modern English translations are translating this verse. Look at the NIV of the same verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I believe that's the intention of God's word, that God gets involved in all the things. The things can be really bad, but you get God involved in it. And it becomes transformed into something good. God's a resurrection God. He wants to take the dead thing and bring it to life. He wants to take a fallen thing and bring it right back up again. God's just good at that. So faith tells me, if I'm a man of faith, if you're a person of faith, faith tells us that what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Sometimes bad things come into our lives. That happens on a fallen planet. Bad things come into our life. But God knows how to take those bad things and spin them into something good. Maybe I shouldn't say spin. Maybe I should say weave them into something good. Because he's got a goal in mind. He knows where he wants to go with this. With, without God, we're lost. We're no better than anybody else. But with God in our life, then all the things in our life can turn into something good. We need to think that. So most probably there's something in your life that with some of the things in your life that you don't like. You don't like these things. And you look at the things and you're saying, how in the world can God bring anything good out of these things? Give it to him and watch. Give it to him and watch. We're going to sing one more song here this morning. And as the Holy Spirit ministers to you as we're singing, if you, if you recognize that thing in your life or a couple things that you can't see any possibility of anything good coming out of this, I'm going to ask you to do something and leave where you're sitting and come up to the front and just stand here and say, I'm giving it to you, God. I'm just going to give it to you, God. I'm just going to give it to you, God. And watch God bring something good out of that.